GearWebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is Free Patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at GearWebsites.com. It's 11.59 at Radio Free America, and this is Uncle Sam with music and the truth until dawn. Right now, I've got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in the occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this is your song. Two A New Media. We'll talk behind the scenes of Two A Media. So grab a camera, microphone, your keyboard, or a phone, and join in the creation of Two A Media Online. We'll be talking nuts and bolts, give some tips and tricks, as well as discussing software, online platforms, how to network, finance, and have fun with your Two A projects. And welcome everybody to our daily gun show. We come to you live every weeknight at midnight Eastern and we talk about guns and other things. Each day of the week we have a different topic. On Mondays we talk about behind the scenes and DJ just said there all those kind of things that uh, are involved with creating content or being an activist. So tonight we have a guest with us, Rob from Tusk, the Universal Settlement Coin. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, but sure. As we, as I was talking to Rob, what I'm trying to do with this show is offer people an opportunity at least to uh, talk about stuff that isn't just introducing themselves or their projects. Like, unfortunately, most of us, we only ever get that opportunity when we're on other people's shows. So with that in mind, of course, take as much time as you, ever, as you want to uh, uh, talk about Tusk. I'm a big fan, and it's something that can you know, could use the, the coverage or the reach. But... Um, and we'll definitely talk about it at the end of the chat. But uh, I, I thought one of the things we chat about tonight is the transition into the next internet and uh, just some of the bigger picture stuff as far as strategies and things that we have to deal with as Second Amendment activists, as gun owners, with all this stuff going on recently. Our, the other side definitely wants us to react to the things that they're putting out there. I like to often look at what's important instead of just always what's urgent. So uh, kind of with that preface, I'm gonna just let you go for a bit here. Thanks for joining us and uh, welcome. What do we think about Internet 3.0 or whatever's next? Is that the right term, Internet 3.0? I, I think everybody's talking about that now. I guess, you know, we should go back and forth because I'm not a lecturer. My, only a lecturer my kids and they really hate it. I'm gonna tweet this, uh, by the way, I'm tweeting this out right now. So, um, so people can watch. So I uh, broadcasting on Twitter or can I anymore? Is that, I, I, think, know gone. I don't know. I, I don't know if you can, I don't no know if the software has an automatic feed or not. You should be able to, I would think. Okay. Cause now Twitter, I know that you were an advocate of Twitter. You used it a lot now that it's had a brief resurgence or something. You probably can give us some insight on that too, if you don't mind. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, a couple months ago, um, actually, well, I told you about that. So I think it was January 9th when we did the announcement about Tusk and GOA starting to, to work together. And we tweeted that and then retweeted on the main Tusk account and then retweeted it from several of the other accounts that we control. And Twitter banned six of our accounts 
across multiple email addresses and said we were, I don't know, amplifying a message or something, come bullshit. So what happened is somebody didn't like the GOA thing and they reported it to Twitter and boom, we lost the accounts. And for like three months, nothing. They wouldn't listen to us. We appealed it. We're like, look, we have 12,000 followers on this account. Um, what's going on? And then randomly, we got a couple of them back the other day. <laughs> it was just like bizarre. Um, but I hate Twitter for the most part. I, I happen to personally have a big footprint there. And so it's hard to walk away when you have that. And you know how it is to build up social media and stuff like that. So that's always been kind of... Uh, a kind of a love-hate relationship with Twitter, but I've been on Twitter a long time, and you know I think I've been on since like two. Th one of my profiles says actually I've been on since November of 2007 on Twitter, so I, I was like a really, really, really adopter, and it wasn't as shitty as it is now. Like back then, it was much more of a free for all. They didn't care. They weren't trying to socially engineer the message and stuff out there. So I liked Twitter back then a lot. <clears throat> and I'd built up a following because I had a small business radio show. And I was, you know, just pushing out my small business radio content. And that's how I initially built up my Twitter account a long time ago. Um, um, let's see, Web 3.0. So let's let's talk about what Web 3.0 is. Does that let's kind of define that? Maybe that's a good start place to go. Yeah, it is. And again, I'm using a at least as the typical terminology is people suggesting we're in web 2.0 and I'm assuming that means high speed web instead of like the initial preliminary web and then 3.0 is the next stage. Well, how I was taught is like web 1.0 was like early e-commerce. Web 2.0 was the advent of social media streaming content. And then web 3.0, it, it's we like to say that it's more about personal individual ownership of digital assets <clears throat> and that combines a lot of different things but that's what they're calling it is that you're going to eventually be able to own your data own your digital assets own your crypto um I, th I think in essence what blockchains allow and nfts allow is provable ownership and a provable ownership of primarily digital assets but of all sorts of assets well, and so I provable think, without a infrastructure, without a central authority saying this is correct. Like there's a consensus that it's correct and it's an infall effectively infallible consensus or something. Correct. So, for instance, with like NFTs, which are just a type of crypto token that is attached to some kind of asset, um, you can't move it unless you own the digital encrypted keys that you get when it's created. So, like, you've seen a lot now <clears throat> on the series, I'm sorry. You're seeing a lot out there right now about these digital avatars, PFP, board apes, and all these little things that are getting, like, really, really expensive. Well, what's different about that art? People are like, well, I can right-click and I stole your NFT. No, you didn't. No, because I always say, all right, go go try to sell that now. If, if you think you can right-click and sell an NFT of somebody else's you can't because you don't have provable ownership of that image or that's that like digital that's like taking an image of the mona lisa and saying i have the equivalent of the mona lisa correct it's like saying i own the Mona. yeah it's like saying <clears throat> i i took a picture of the mona lisa at the louvre and now i'm selling that well guess what if you try to like make something with the mona lisa on it you're going to get some copyright infringement i'm pretty sure um maybe maybe i don't know maybe it 
you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. you're not allowed to do that. They don't allow you to take photography generally inside. In a parallel, lot of museums. you had a piece of canvas with the Mona Lisa painted on it, and you said, "This is the Mona Lisa." You could go around saying that all you want, and it might look a lot like it, but it ain't the Mona Lisa because of sort of well, because there's a, a, a what the, the Louvre or whoever it is has the Mona Lisa, and they can say, "No, it's right here." Right. right, they have prom. They have, they have approvable provenance. For instance, so the NFT creates a situation where the Mona Lisa, the one thing, everyone agrees on it. Like the blockchain agrees on it. The the consensus agrees on it. That infallible collaboration agrees on it. Therefore, without a Louvre, without a, is that the right word? That whatever the museum is, you don't need that central authority anymore. You just have this Correct. infallible consensus. So yeah. So if you look at right now. So look at any collectible out there. Uh, oh, by the way, um, DJ saying, are we in Internet 2.5 or is there one more step? You know, these are all these. These are not hard definitions like 2.0, 3.0. It's more of a trendy. It's kind of like saying what Gen X is or Gen Y. There's mixed definitions on when those years start and stop for generations. Well, it's kind of the same thing with like these kind of terminology. There's not a hard definition of what 2.0 is and 3.0. I think what you'll see is there's a lot of combinations, right? So OpenSea is an NFT marketplace. It's a lot. So it has <clears throat> both um, smart contract NFT functionality, which makes it 3.0, but it's a e-commerce site like eBay but for digital assets, so that's 2.0. So you can make the argument that application is very much a combination, maybe it's web 2.5, because it has elements of both, or maybe it's 3.5, I'm not sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go at it two different ways. So there's, to, to try to explain it too. So you got your web 1.0 could be when nerds are using it. Web 2.0 is when regular people are using it. And web 3.0 is when it becomes an appliance and everyone just has it like cable or something that we just uh, feel is, uh, uh, not, more than a necessity, like an obligation of something like it's just part of life. There's that way in the social side of it. But then there's technology 2.0 and or it, the technology side. I can I like to think of it because this is the part I have the most experience with. The original Internet was on copper telephone lines and literally every aspect of it was to get inexpensive phone calls between one side of the country and the other when there was long distance rates on copper phone lines. So the whole aspect of bits and packets and the way that we do the internet, the way that it was even invented, had to do with the physical constraints of those copper lines. Internet 2.0 is cell phones. And when you have cell phones, you don't have copper lines anymore. So why do you need the old ice skates or roller skates or chassis that you needed on the original internet? Internet 3.0 is when you don't need servers and infrastructures. Internet 3.0 is when it goes mesh and hash and blockchain and it becomes another entity that lives on the organic internet and not on the wires or on the backbone of the telephone lines i would and say it, you get your i think you're overlapping yeah. a couple of concepts I there oh i totally um, am i'm just saying the internet's evolving and that's why it's hard to say internet 1.0 is right depending on how you look at it it can be different things but everything's evolving and society and tech and and our ways of doing business and everything is changing well, I would say some of the what you're talking about is adoption life cycle or just what stage of the life cycle is crypto in, right? right. So, you know, Bitcoin started 10 years ago and we're still very early in its life cycle. 
And, and I, I'm not some kind of like gypsy with a crystal ball, right? I don't predict the future, but I am pretty good at identifying trends. And, and how I do that is I just try to think about when you see a technology that removes a lot of friction or streamlines or makes big things for a lot of people more efficient, that tends to get adopted. And you don't have to be like some kind of, you know, seer or visionary in the future to understand where things are going to go just because you understand the tech and what it can do and how powerful it is. And that's why I think we're very early in crypto. And yeah, the crypto is full of scammers. It's full of bullshit. It's full of hype right now. But the technology underpinning blockchains and cryptocurrencies is so revolutionary that I, that it's going to change absolutely how we do everything <clears throat> when it comes to owning things, raising capital, um, you, when it comes to things like escrow, uh, chain of custody, we go a little bit on provenance, on collectibles. It impacts and streamlines so many different big things that affect and impact everybody for the most part, that I believe these technologies will absolutely be adopted in the future because of that, just because it cuts out so much friction and makes things so much more efficient. Um, but like anytime there's a gold rush or a land rush, you see a lot of hype, scams, failures, bubbles kind of happen. And the bigger the land rush or the gold rush, the bigger those scams and hypes and bubbles and things that pop and scammers tend to be because those are the people that, so it's funny that you have visionaries on one side, like these entrepreneurs that are kind of seeing what this stuff can do, but then scammers also tend to flock toward where the, the hype is because people get emotional when there's a lot of hype and thrills and they don't make good decisions and scammers know that and take advantage of it. And you saw that in, you know, to 1999, 2000, 2001 with the dot-com bubble, right? Same thing happened. It happened with traveler's checks. It happened with, with credit cards. When people only know of credit cards, somebody can walk up to you and say, hey, I'm selling you a credit card. Here it is. Somebody can call you on the phone and go, hey, I'm selling you a credit card until it becomes common enough knowledge that you go, oh, wait a minute, I have to initiate this. I need to go to the bank or whatever. There's, a, there's an opportunity for people to, to deceive. Correct. But that's where people who are ultra conservative, people that want you to invest in gold, for example, or that want you to invest in their investment insurance situation or whatever their their medium of, of making money is, they're not going to want you to go into something that isn't their realm of making money. So, right? so if you go into somebody who's a retirement investor and they're used to doing, I don't know, grant, I don't know, I don't know all the different things, but if they're not one of those people that owns gold, and you say, should I own gold? They're going to give you a thousand reasons why you don't want to own gold. Now you go over somebody who deals with gold and you ask them, should I own gold? They're going to give you just as many reasons why you would want to own gold, right? I think there's an element there that people don't want you to invest in something because it's not their investment method. And people then can say, crypto is only investment. Ignore it completely. Instead of being nuanced and saying, like you're trying to say, there's an investment aspect, but that's not the only aspect of this thing. And just don't mm -hmm. go over there if you don't want to invest a million dollars. Like, here's the easiest way not to get scammed for a million dollars. Don't invest a million dollars over there. Exactly. And I think it's like anything else, right? Um, what does they say that fate 
favors the bold or whatever it is, um, that kind of saying. And, and it's like anything else. If you're early into something, you are more likely to be vastly rewarded. You are also more likely to be taking on the most risks because you never know where it's going to end up, right? You could be wrong. Maybe you're miss. Maybe the trend you're trying to be early in it isn't going to be what you think it is. It doesn't pan out the way you think it is, and and people lose big. So the earlier you get in, you're taking on the most risks, but that's where the most reward is. And so it really just comes down to where you are in this risk cycle and where you see it possibly going and when you enter. Um, so in the chat, DJ was saying, so what will maybe disappear, become rare in Web 3.0? What can we anticipate no longer being able to rely on from the previous paradigm? That's interesting. Um, that's a good. That's a really good topic, and I think he's asking the right questions because if you say if you understand what's going to go away, you might then see the opportunities and what's coming forward. But you got to work your way backwards on that. So how I see it is you won't need infrastructures like the new internet will be internet of things right everything will talk to each other that'll be the infrastructure you don't need be part of it right? iot is a part of this it's not all of it and i don't even think that's necessarily the infrastructure um in fact i'm not a big fan of iot i don't want a spy bot like amazon or google in my house or like an echo i, I don't even have any of that stuff yeah it literally enables every company that decides to get into it to become a spy bot yeah, so I, I, I don't necessarily, so I think IoT is not the infrastructure of crypto. I think IoT is a, like kind of like a, a tangential ten technology that's working on similar protocols. So for instance, I would say that really Internet of Things is not Web 3.0. I think that's just an extension of Web 2.0. Because it's, if you look at it, it's a lot more social with other aspects to it. So I just think that IoT is not Web 3.0. It's not right. crypto, it, blockchain, it's ownership based. It's the internet today with a different distribution. Correct. It's, a, it's just an expansion. Different. Yeah. So, I mean, you can buy, so you can do e-commerce and social media through like an Amazon Echo. That doesn't make it Web 3.0 because it's actually the opposite. Web 2.0 is about if you look at the web 2.0 companies business models right that's all about harvesting your personal data and selling it that's the business model or selling you ads based on your personal data um and so really internet of things is a lot more of an extension of that now at least in the residential setting you want to get into comp like commercial there's lots of interesting things in iot for monitoring things like SCADA networks used to be, but like, you know, managing pipelines and things like that. There's a lot of actually good application of that technology in, in the commercial industrial realm, but you're not really hearing about that. But there's a lot of interesting things happening there in IoT, and I think that makes a lot of sense, right? <clears throat> Remote tracking and monitoring of sensors makes things more efficient because you can do on the fly uh, adjustments because of that additional, you know, sensing data and SCADA. Some of the SCADA stuff's a little outdated. Um, but what 3.0, what do I think is going to go away? That's tough because I think it's going to impact a lot of things. So what does it do? So let's say, let's say raising money for a business. Okay. So right, and some of the laws have to change and they will change over time. But for instance, let's say you wanted to start a small business 
and you wanted to raise money for, let's say, a barbershop, okay? And you could sell tokens that are called NFTs or non-fungible tokens that represent an ownership interest in that barbershop. And you could say that anybody who holds that token, one, will receive a portion of the profits of that, you know, that individual barbershop. But having that NFT in your wallet is where those automatic distributions would go, for instance, of the profit sharing. But in addition, you could say if you have that NFT and you anybody who has that, let's say that ownership NFT, or we call it a governance NFT, or governance token, maybe, um, who owns that and has it in their wallet, they walk in the door, they get a free haircut for life. That's what NFTs in Web 3.0 allow for. So you could actually essentially do public raises, much like, you know, Amazon, you know, or Black Rifle Coffee does, you know, a pub, they do a IPO or initial public offering, or they go to angel investors and raise money to build something. But you could just go to the public on a public website and say, I'm going to sell these. If you're in the, you know, you're in the Salt Lake City area, um, you can invest in our barbershop concept and you invest, I don't know, five or 10 grand, you get a haircut for life and you get a portion of the profits for as long as you hold that governance NFT in your wallet. That's one aspect. So that's going to change how investing is done. That's going to change how capital formation is done. Um, you could do with smart contracts, you could do LegalZoom, I think would be a, you know, LegalZoom where they make, you know, they have dumb contracts that are just kind of boilerplate. You could build almost every one of those contracts as a smart contract and you don't need a third party middleman to get involved. Um, and so part of that could be escrow. So you can change how escrow is done. You could change. So for instance, I'm buying a house right now and you know, you have to put earnest money down. You could literally do all that in a smart contract and do all the, you could do all the title transfers um, and the escrow and the payments all on blockchain. And so you can say, I put my earnest money down and then at this time, if these conditions are met, the smart contracts executed and the deed of title is transferred. And that's all done completely on chain or on the, on the blockchain. It can be done automatically. So that's going to revolutionary. It's going to revolutionize um, how literal contracts are done, how real estate can be transferred, how cars can be transferred, anything with a deed or a title could be transferred. That could be and will be impacted by blockchain over time and smart contract technology and NFT technology. And these are kind of separate technologies too, by the way, that all kind of interact with each one, each other. But, um, Give me some time. I could talk all night about brainstorming different applications. Um, but there's lots of things you could do as far as smart contracts that, you know, is just not possible now. So, but for instance. Your examples um, all are, but what, what they have in common is uh, they remove the infrastructures that traditionally necessitate, you know, costs or trust with either a bank or a lawyer or you know an individual and then you've got the potential for issues there uh, and then just extra costs or whatever so right like what we're talking about or what you're talking about is creating things that have uh what is it trust and security so that our tri privacy and trust and security i guess 
so that when you have mechanisms in the future or now i guess we've created mechanisms that allow two people or more people to enter into a contract that they know is not going to be fallible like nobody can mess with it and you don't need a trustworthy lawyer you don't need a trustworthy bank the system itself becomes uh, an alternative to that and so in the future you don't have this necessity for a bank to authorize the loan or to decide it's the your barbershop is a good idea right so we call that a trusted third party so so the term trustlessness and and i don't know how in the weeds we want to get right with all this terminology because <clears throat> it's a lot well, let the audience tell us right because i i'm learning but yeah if we're talking stuff that isn't getting through then let us know if that's what the value of lies so is. Yeah, so think of so for instance think of all the gatekeepers and middlemen that are involved if you've ever bought a house okay i'm going through that process again right now and I'm, we've bought several houses over real the years. estate agents lawyers and dude and title the title company the title company um on paper we are really well qualified to buy a house like we just have good credit we have very documentable funds we have savings like we should be a we should be a shoe in for any like any mortgage right but the amount of documentation that we have had to generate from paper um the ridiculousness of it too because of the patriot act and aml and kyc and all the stuff that all the federal regulations around mortgages right but but most all that could go away like you wouldn't need a title company right for instance um, that could be automated and done with smart contracts. You you wouldn't even necessarily need brokers, though I think you'll always have people help you understand what you're seeing. But but I think over time, a lot of that stuff can be just automated out. So it think would be consultants the to the new system, right? You'd have people that Correct. walked you through it, but they would be in the new system. They'd be brokers of the new systems. They wouldn't be the brokers. They would be assisting you as a broker. Correct. And so I think that over time, and I'm saying time could be five to 20 years, right? A lot of these, you're going to see a lot of changes. And I think eventually the crypto and the blockchain pieces will be kind of in the background. They'll be what they call abstracted out from the user, from the people in the front end. So for instance, most things that we deal with, like right now, even working with the streaming app, you're interfacing with the database in the background. There's always, there's always pieces and software, but database is part of it. You log in, you're using a database. Remember, remember well, 128 database encryption? Nobody knows what that is, but they all wanted it and because you were marketed it. But encryption is what we're all dealing with now. Blockchain is another step in that Crypt Basically, data, all blockchains are is they're slower databases that are using heavy encryption that are spread across multiple independently operated servers. And those servers work together to approve transactions on that network. So that's all a blockchain is. So if you think of, if you think in the most simple terms that a blockchain is a type of database in a very, very, very loose way. And then think of all the things that we do on the internet now that are all running on top of a database. You don't even know or think about it, but everything you do is on a database. You buy something on Amazon, that's all in a lot of databases. Well, all that can also be run on a blockchain too, um, but there's a lot of added benefits to being on a blockchain. So um, you could, for instance, buy things in a decentralized way. So you could possibly buy something from an unknown person across the world 
and you both can put some things into escrow in a smart contract. You don't have to put it with, a t for instance, in real estate, you'd have to put it with a title company. That'd be the, you know, that could be that third-party trusted thing. But in the in the inter but in the Web 3.0, we talk about the term trustlessness, meaning that I can do business with someone that I don't know and transact with them in a trustless way, meaning that I don't have to know them. There doesn't have to be a third-party gatekeeper because the technology now assumes the role that or the function of what that gatekeeper might used to. But what that does, it takes a lot of cost and um, friction out of transacting because now you don't have all these slowpoke, you know, if I want to, so right now, if I want a mortgage, right? So for instance, you could build um, a blockchain based app that maybe you, okay, maybe you could, you could just make an app, a lending app on a blockchain and you could have a lot of people that say hey I want to make loans for mortgages and I'll put in my crypto and I'll lock it in a smart contract and then I will for the rest of my life let's just say I put I loan out um $50,000 and then there's 10 other people that loan out $50,000 and we pool that together and we make a loan for someone who wants to buy a house that's $500,000 now that payment could be locked in a smart contract. And then when that person pays, you know, every month their mortgage to us investors that invested in this smart contract to people we don't know, it automatically would get distributed to us in our wallets automatically every month in a trustless way. There's no title company involved with that or wouldn't have to be. Um, and you wouldn't have to have a bank involved. You don't need a bank. You can have people do peer-to-peer -peer lending uh, so there's a lot of these things that cut out like a lot of the legacy financial system, but it also cuts out a lot of the accounting world. It cuts out a lot of the insurance world. It cuts out a lot of the real estate, all the gatekeepers and all those different industries. And th there's like so many applications of Web 3.0 technologies that we haven't even thought of yet. That's where I, the entrepreneurs I, come in. I feel like this has never happened before because we still have travel agents and we still have stockbrokers. You still call someone on the telephone and they make your stock transaction for you. And if you're going to go somewhere on a trip, you call a human being and she goes to a, a typewriter and types a letter to the to the bus department or whatever and gets a ticket for you, right? Like we've mm -hmm. gone these transitions before where people were like, oh, there's no way I'm going to get my airline tickets on the internet. That's crazy. A telephone and a robot telling me my travel. And now people would don't even realize there was such a thing as a travel agent, probably probably unless they watched a movie about it, right? Right. And and there are still travel consultants that maybe you want to do a global tour. And, well, and there, maybe there's you know, I'm, you know what I'm saying is there's there there's are YouTube still travel channels. agents. Yeah, YouTube channels that show you how to get the best travel tips or where to go, mm -hmm. right? That's the equivalent of a travel agent in this new version of Internet 2.0. So if there's somebody who's like, the, this is foreign to me, I don't get it. Think about your grandparents. And when they went on a trip, they called a lady who, who had a bunch of brochures and she would go to their house or she, they would go to the, her office and they'd look at brochures and they'd decide where they're going to go. And then a lot of letters were exchanged with stamps on them. And months later, they went on this vacation. But it was, you know what I'm saying, like those, there was that kind of transitions before. And I'm sure there's many of them like that with banking so, and everything else. 
DJ made a good point. What about you know trusting companies with your personal data? So I think if here's a, I get a little point that we can make about that. So like Web 2.0 is about a lot about making money off harvesting your personal data. There's there's I don't know probably trillions of dollars worth of money being moved around because of that model, right? Now Web 3.0, you know you get access. So in 2.0 you get access to services, right? For them stealing all your private data and they then and by the way they do it in a very not transparent way typically but you know you get to use facebook for free you get to use twitter for free you get to use google and gmail for free gmail, and ex yep. you know but not gwebs gmail but in exchange for that you get free access to some good useful services and and understand they're very addictive and good services people we use them every day <clears throat> so but web 3.0 you can flip that and there's a bunch, there's new startups and apps being built right now where you control, imagine that you own an NFT of your personal data. And that can encompass anything, right? It could be your personal preferences, buying habits, hobbies, age, location, all that kind of information. But you own the keys to that data. So it's private. And if you want, and you then can have the option of releasing some of that data for a share of profit, but when you <laughs> choose to. So oh, for instance, awesome. so that, and there are some companies working on this right now in various awesome. flavors. So the idea is you get to own your data and you can sell off your data any way you want. So I liken it a lot like selling your plasma, <laughs> right? At a blood bank or something. Um, but for instance, you could say, look, I have my NFT. Um, I go to this website, it says they want to access XYZ data, but they'll give me something free in exchange for that. Yeah, oh, you'll get so value then, in exchange, yeah. So then I sign, digitally sign my wallet, basically log into your crypto wallet, we call it signing. You allow then, and you can say, okay, I will check a box and say you can have my age, location, and my hobbies, but not my medical history, not my family history, and I'll sell you that. What are you going to give me for it? And you, we will come to this place in the next few years where every time you land on a website, they'll give you, they'll like try to incentivize you to give them information about yourself, and they'll trade you something for it, or maybe they'll pay you something for it um, in some form of crypto or something like that. That's what Web 3.0 is going to do, and I think actually that's more honest, right? Because at least if you have to go through and sign your wallet to allow that information to be released, then you're, you at least are involved in that, pro, you know, that kind of decision making, right? The if you want to, the, the, the company on the other side is going to value that more, they're going to flock to that op option, for the most part, because that's way more valuable data for them too. Well, it's more honest. Like, so for instance, um, right now I still like the Brave browser. They, they, they say they give me some anonymity, but they pay me to use the web browser and they, so I had the option and I'm, I'm on the Brave browser right now. Oh, and, okay. and so the, paid? what do they pay you in some kind of coin? Uh, bat tokens, BAT token. Okay. And so they, they give you preferences. And so if you want this experience right now, you can have it. And what they do is they show you a little, little tiny ad about that big that pops up. I get like, I don't know, five or 10 an hour that pop up in the bottom right-hand corner of my screen. And I get to choose the frequency of that. 
And then they literally automatically just put into my wallet, you know, a couple dollars a month of BAT so tokens. Is, is there an affiliate link for Tusk to Brave? Does Brave have an affiliate? And is there one set up for Tusk? Um, you can do a thing with Brave called tipping. And, and you can do Brave Creators. So you can do stuff like that. Well, um, I'll just straight link to it. I was just double checking in case there was a link somewhere I would use their affiliate link. But otherwise, I'll just link to Brave Browser. I didn't even know that about that. So thanks for that info. Yeah. So BAT tokens, I, my first time, I've been using it for a couple of years and I've cashed out over $400 just from normal surfing um, from that. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep using that because one, it's a good browser. Two, they do have some anonymity but they actually do some really it's called you know so it's really kind of an interesting deal but they pay me to advertise to me so that's that's and i'm okay with that because you know what it's not super obnoxious and they have a, they just launched a search engine too so now they have their own brave search um but brave is going to be a, i think a huge company in the next couple of years i think they're going to take on google at some point um because they've really embraced this different model right whereas they're they're allowing you to have control and that's the big difference that's i guess a good definition dj is web 3.0 is you are in control web 2.0 someone else is in control let me am i connected good because i got a really bad connection signal here it says i got less than a bar you sound good to me Okay, let me take a stab at this too. So back in the day, there was Nielsen boxes and you could get a Nielsen box and I don't know how that hooked up to your TV or something and they would watch what you watched on the television and you became part of the data that they would use about what shows and what commercials. And True that kind story. Of I dated a girl whose family was a Nielsen ratings family. So I've actually seen that box. I, I knew like high school. Too. It's always I knew somebody who knew somebody kind of thing. So exactly. No, I, were, I was in the room. I saw it. No, but I'm saying they, like they were out there. Just not everybody didn't have one, but they were out there. They they got paid to do it. And every time I don't know what they got paid, but they got literally paid pretty well and they were supposed to not tell anybody. It's kind and, of and interesting. It was, it was prestigious because they would say something like this has got a Nielsen rating of whatever, and those people knew that they were part of that rating. Yeah. And so like every time they watched the show, they had to type something in somehow. And I think back then it dialed up like a modem or something. Um, yeah, actually, no, well, actually that'd be a whole other thing to talk about the tech of that, but let's, but basically I was going to try to do is just hit that on another angle. So I think most people know what Nielsen is, but then another thing back in that era is you might go into a store and they might say something like you're going to be closed captioned television. And nobody gave a crap about it. But what they would do is take pictures of you as you entered the store. They would take pictures of you as you went around the store. More often, they take pictures of your mom. Actually, they probably did take pictures of us because kids are the, the ones that make the decisions most of the time. But they would see how our parents responded to our nagging, right? And they would use these photographs. And nobody thought too much of it. I suppose if you got told about it, you might be a little bit offended. But because they were taking these pictures of you, the worst that would happen is they'd show it to a bunch of marketing people or maybe it got used in an ad campaign and then they would pay you. But they've been taking pictures of us is what I'm getting at for a long, 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 long time. And then we started to get paranoid about security and then they started having security cameras everywhere and nobody paid it a second attention because it's for our safety. So our companies and institutions have been taking pictures of us forever. And after at some point they're taking these pictures and they say, 
what's the most effective way to paint lines on the floor? What's the most effective way to set up the offices? What's the most effective way to do what? Let's start watching the video cameras and determining where people go. That's the beginning of data research. So once we go online and we're literally able to be tracked every decision we make, how long we spend on a page, where our mouse goes, right? They just decided to start keeping track of all that stuff. And when people say they're collecting our data, it's not as though they really care what you do, but they certainly care what a 45-year-old man who makes your salary does with his time on the internet. And they're going to take that and sell it to somebody who sells stuff to 45-year-old men who are online. And that's big business. Because if you can send the direct barbecue ad to you when you're about to buy barbecue stuff, they sold you a barbecue thing. So when people go, oh, I don't have nothing to hide or whatever, what we're really just talking about is how the internet is using the technology to do what they do, market to us and pay attention to us. So what Rob's talking about is the next version of the internet, you have your own cookies and you turn them on and you say, collect my cookies browser and your browser pays attention to where you go. But now you have, you have value, you say, I'm a 47 year old dude with this income and this is the websites I went to. Who wants to pay me for that? And like you're saying, you can decide, I'm gonna give you my medical info for a thousand dollars. I'll give you my casual browser info for $200. I'll give you my kids. Well, you probably don't wanna sell that. That's a whole nother thing, but you know, I'm gonna give you- People a, sell their kids, no problem. <laughs> I, mean? like I was gonna say the kids browsing history or something, because that's probably more valuable. They care about what they wanna eat at McDonald's and that kind of stuff desperately. But you know what I'm saying? Like you're at some point you're going to have that as another piece of um, value and the companies are going to adopt to that. And I think like I said, I think they value that way more than having to guess what a million people are going to do. Right. And I don't know, Correct. it's just another stab at like trying to adjust that concept of owning your, your presence online. Now, now understand the two things you have that are different is you got the legacy system that, and you get the politics, right? The corporations that are very influential politically are definitely lobbying to protect what they have, the old system. And so you see, I think this is where the United States is going to be left behind when it comes to Web 3.0, because the laws are the preventative thing. They're not, you know, they're not keeping up with the technology. And in fact, they're absolutely being, you know, obstructed by the polit you know the political scene <clears throat> here in the united states so i think it's going to be very interesting to see how this technology rolls out i don't think you know i'm not confident that the united states will be a leader in it i think you have a lot of talent here i just think the united states is going to i think they're going to blow it because <laughs> i think we're idiots on things um and i think other countries are m more adopting this technology um quicker than the united states so um i, I lived in europe when i was younger right when the internet was in the 90s okay so i'm old I'm giving you some dates i'm dating myself but in the late 90s i was um in college and i was in living in europe and i thought it was interesting because everybody like young people in the 90s did not have cell phones in mass in the united states they're very expensive and just i mean people had pagers like i, I had a pager then Only but in europe still, not everybody correct but in europe everybody had cell phones already so the adoption of cell phone technology was much quicker and earlier in places like you know korea and all over europe and the main reason why is that the legacy telecom system was archaic it couldn't handle data and it was very expensive to have a landline phone 
And so lots of people didn't have land. Like they had like, I thought this was interesting and I never saw it anywhere else. But where I was at in, in Ireland at the time, uh, I was in a college town and they had pay phones in your house. So imagine like a rotary phone with a slot to put literally coins in it. It was the damnedest thing. Instead of Never having a phone bill, right? Instead of having a phone bill, you just had this phone kind of in your house. <laughs> yeah, it was bizarre. But and so um, so because of that archaic infrastructure, the adoption of cell phones was actually in in fact high speed internet too, um, and Wi Fi became early they were earlier adopters of cell phones than the united states was because the united states had better infrastructure on the they have we had we had the best telephone infrastructure in the world you know the best landlines along the tradition of coming home and talking to your friends on the phone or blah 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 like that was part of the yeah it was just part of our culture or whatever and our landlines were just really good and so because of that and because of the political obstruction uh, you know, it was very much like a cartel. There was one, not really, a, well, it was a monopoly until they broke up the bell system. But but so what, what you saw is you saw this adoption of these better technologies sooner in more less developed places because it was just easier to adopt than try to retrofit the landlines. It was cheaper, in other words, to put in cell phone towers and run new lines. And, and they went that direction. And I think we're going to see the same thing with crypto. And all the things around Web 3.0 and crypto, and oh, you're already seeing it. So El Salvador. What about, the, what about the idea that Europe is just a bunch of whole countries instead of a bunch of states that have a federal government? They have a euro or whatever, but you know what I mean? Like they they're kind of used to doing their own thing and adopting what their neighbors do begrudgingly or doing whatever they do because they follow the leader. You know, they they got that dynamic that we don't. Yeah, I, well, I was thinking like with the like the technology, right? So like. All right. Think about it this way. The United States has also the let's just call it globally the lock on the financial system of the world. We the dollar is the reserve currency. Everything up until recently, everything was transacted, especially petrol, you know, oil. Everything was transacted in dollars globally. The dollars were the global sediment currency. It mostly still is. So the U.S. has everything to gain by keeping the status quo and everything to lose by losing the dollar reserve currency status. And we also have all the best financial technology, FinTech, to support that existing infrastructure. So you have all these gatekeepers, third parties, banks and financial people, and the US government all propped up on the dollar and the FinTech that supports the dollar. They don't want to rock the boat because they have a good thing going. Here's the problem. There's lots of other countries that, well, they're almost they're kind of third world countries. Let's say El Salvador. So El Salvador was the first country to make Bitcoin legal tender. And now, and they just had a conference a couple, I don't know, like a month ago. And they had, I don't know, I heard like dozens of other countries, mostly developing countries from Central, South America, Africa, and some Asian countries, all meet up to talk about adopting Bitcoin as legal tender because they don't like being under the thumb of the dollar. And so El Salvador was the first, and there's probably going to be many more that are considering adopting at the government level, at least Bitcoin, to be a legal tender. And the U.S. is fighting this tooth and nail 
the basically the U.S. is what it's looking like. Well, I'm is the Fed also know like anybody with well, an established currency would want to fight it, right? This is what I think. I think, I think there's going to be smaller countries that have nothing to lose and everything to gain by adopting Bitcoin as an option. I think you're going to see certain countries benefit from seeing the financial breaking of the United States. And so maybe they adopt Bitcoin just to hasten that along, but maybe they're not oh, going to maintain that. A friend um, of your friend, enemy of your friend, or whatever kind of situation. I, I, I could, I mean, if I mean, we can get into politics, but what I say about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Russia's already won because of the economic damage that they've done to the dollar, the fact that they are now getting off petrodollars and a big chunk of the world's countries are getting off the petrodollar. That's huge because strategically that hurts the United States the most. And then we'll see the ramifications of, you know, that there's going to be global starvation in the next, you know, six to 12 months. Yeah. This so, reaction, in other words, the reaction to pull or sanction their fuel is actually going to have ramifications. Or whatever. The rubles, the ruble has not been this strong since before the fall of the Soviet empire. So understand what you're dealing with. We've propped up their economy. The value of the, their energy is stronger than ever. Um, and strategically, long-term, they've weakened the dollar. And so if you think about it, not the right or wrong, or you know, Ukraine, good guys, Russia, bad guys, but if you look at what the implications are of a lot of people being more than willing to say F you to the American sanctions, which is what you've seen, especially big power players, the dollar's days are numbered. So the question is, if you're I mean, the inflation should give you an indication. The money has been broken. They just printed too much for too long of the US dollar. And so you have people that are trying to protect the dollar and its infrastructure, but a lot of people around the world and a lot of us in this country too, see that the dollar's days are over, right? It's just a matter of when it's gonna die. It's going to die. There's no way you can fix this. And so the question is, what if how ugly does it What if we just printed more dollars though? Well, that's what they keep doing. That's what they're going to keep doing. And that's why it's going to keep getting worse because this is how most nations fail. They die under the weight of their own debt and corruption. And, and that's what we're doing. Um, but I think, you know, five or 10 years ago, what's happened with Russia um, wouldn't have happened. Okay. Like everybody would have been afraid to like thumb the nose at the U S or say, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to participate in these sanctions. And now we're going to accept, we're going to, you know, we're going to accept rubles for gas and oil and not take dollars for that. And the fact that once we lose reserve currency, all the funny money that we printed isn't good anymore. The only reason people accept dollars is because they have to use dollars to buy gas and oil. And we threaten them and we bribe politicians around the world too. It's what all that foreign aid is about. Um, so if you understand globally long-term, the dollar won't last, in my opinion. I don't have a timetable, right? I'm, I'm just saying is I'm, I don't have timelines, but I understand how things work. And the dollars are going to die. Well, probably happen at some point at that inflation could get so bad that they're going to have to, like, revalue or restructure the dollar. And they're probably going to create a cent, you know, some Federal Reserve, you know, crypto dollar. And they're already talking about doing that. So it's probably going to happen because they can manipulate that. Whereas 
they don't want to adopt Bitcoin because they can't manipulate Bitcoin the same way. And so they'll treat whatever Federal Reserve crypto digital dollar um, the same way they do regular dollars. They're just going to, but when they transition to that, um, they're going to re, probably revalue the dollar entirely and try to just, you know, default against China or whatever and say, screw you guys. I think that's probably in the cards. I don't know when, though. Well, that gets definitely into stuff that I'm not, you know, I, it's beyond my uh, scope or whatever. I'm still trying to figure out the tech side of it so that I can understand the um, implications so that I can see where strategically fits into things that I'm curious about and interested in, like Second Amendment advocacy and our you know, gun industry, and then, you know, just the, the U.S. You know, the country in general, and then individuals just being able to... Uh, be uh, up with the times and on the leading end of curbs and stuff. Um, well, I would, well, I, I'll, I'll say how one of the things um, uh, that I would be, well, if the dollar dies, I think there's going to be a lot of turmoil in the United States. And I think I would predict you're going to need guns <laughs> if that happens. But I think even as the economy continues to dwindle with inflation, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of crime increase. Um, the question is how bad is it going to get in the next year or 18 months or 24 months? So the problem is we don't know, right? We're at unknown territory right now. I mean, I mean, we've already kind of, a, we're already kind of, uh, you know, adapted to kind of the new high prices, but I think there's going to be some pretty serious, um, uh, consequences for what we're seeing out there. Um, so I think having guns is going to be important in that case, just even if crime goes up. I think crime going up is inevitable. I, th I would think that I wouldn't be surprised if that we start seeing, again, I'm thinking 6, 12 months, 18 months out, I wouldn't be surprised you start seeing you know more truck jackings and stuff like that where people start hijacking I don't know, you know, whole trucks of, you know, oil and gasoline and food, it wouldn't surprise me if you start seeing that. And I think you're going to see things get a little more, um, uh, you know, I, you're going to see more violence happening. So I think, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Well, I guess it depends on, yeah, how... I don't know. I don't think I don't think that's inevitable for sure. I mean, that's definitely a a way it can go. Um, but without getting into that, um, I was going to say as far as um, the get the evolution into Web three and or you know whatever that we're calling we're using that as a shorthand for you know this next step in tech, uh, like say the industry and. What's all this about? Did you get the link to somebody? Maybe. Oh, don't let them in. You don't want them in. So then, um, uh, if we're talking about going into Web3 or whatever, and as far as the industry, however it gets accepted, like you were kind of mentioning other countries, uh, adopting it and then becoming more established or whatever. Uh, we had talked earlier about um, uh, having, in order to be, there's like a catch-22. In order to be on an exchange, you have to have a certain amount of 
uh, usage or a certain amount of exchange happening in a time period. And once you get enough use of the currency or use of the coin, uh, then it, be it becomes lucrative for a major exchange to consider it. And, you know, like I say, there's different ways that it could eventually get to where, you know, you could go to the store and see uh, Tusk as an option, just like PayPal or American Express or Visa or whatever. So I think one of the kind of saying with that in mind, one of the things people or I think one of the only ways people hear about Bitcoin is this idea of using it as an investment, some sort of either long term or short term uh, way to make money or to invest. So my quiz here today for or the poll here today for people that were live was to ask, what would you put into crypto to buy or sell things? Twenty dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars. And my question to Rob is, if a thousand people put $20 in there and started exchanging between themselves $5 or $20, does that count as a, a transaction or is it the dollars spent that counts as the transaction? So it depends. So there's, this gets a little in the weeds, but um, there's on-chain transaction volume, which doesn't get tracked most of the time. So that means if I just have my personal wallet and then I trade it with you against your personal wallet, that's not going to show up in any of the trackers because most trackers don't really care about that volume. What they care about are people buying and selling on exchanges. So that's where like coinmarketcap.com and CoinGecko, they, that's where they track. They track on exchange transactions. So that so means that's, going forth between different coins or between dollars and coins? Is that it just It just means buying and selling of, it doesn't matter which trading pair, like you can trade against dollars or trade against other cryptos. But um, it's just that the volume that's on exchanges is what tends to be tracked by the trackers, not on, okay, the, well not then, on the blockchain. In that scenario or that suggestion, instead of saying, because again, I don't know what people are thinking when we start talking about Bitcoin and, and now Tusk, right? Which is Bitcoin is just an actual brand of Cybercoin, which is a type of way to deal with um, with uh, tran transferring mm -hmm. value online in a Bitcoin or in a blockchain. So Tusk is a specific one that Rob is a co-founder of. And when we're talking about that, I really don't know what's going through people's minds. We're not trying to in sell them on a retirement investment. We're not trying to sell them on some kind of an opportunity to get rich in the future. What we're talking about is an, op an option to PayPal, an option to a traveler's check, an option to a credit card that the gun shops could use. And that if you wanted to sell a knife to someone, you could use. You could say, I want to sell this knife to you for 20 bucks. Give me 20 tusks and then okay here you go now they're they've transferred from your wallet to my wallet i'm going to send these to you the same way we would on ebay or over the forum or something i i think why this gets complicated is because crypto has elements of both both the, so crypto absolutely can be bought and traded and invested in say like a stock right but certain cryptos like tusk could also be used as a payment instrument in a peer-to-peer -peer or not peer-to-peer -peer manner. And so since you can use it for both purposes, people get a little in the weeds because it's like, you know, it's imagine, so think of gold, right? Everybody understands gold is something concrete, right? You can, you can put it in your hand like this chapstick, right? And hold it. 
But imagine if this chapstick also could be an investment because I can hold it and I can invest in it, but I can also trade it really easily like and, and buy and sell things with it. The problem with the gold, for instance, if you have a gold coin in your hand, it's hard to go buy something off the internet. <laughs> you know, it's hard to buy something from Amazon.com with that gold coin in your hand, right? If you want to buy something with that gold coin, you can find another person who, you know, has an interest in precious metals and is willing to barter you for something and you come up with some kind of exchange rate between your goods and services and the you know that gold coin. Um, whereas crypto can do both. So for instance, you could just buy Tusk and put it in your wallet and just let it sit there and see how much it goes in, up in value over time. Or just like you could buy a gold coin and do the same thing. Or you could just as just as easily as buying something with PayPal, also buy something with Tusk, and no longer use it as an investment now. But you can all use it like money, whereas that's a lot harder with gold. For instance, if you want to sell buy something with gold on the internet, you're generally going to have to go to the local gold store when they're open and trade them that gold for dollars and then go deposit those dollars at a bank account then transfer those you know that money that's in the bank account and use your debit card or use paypal so crypto has a lot of advantages over both of those systems and so i think that's why it gets a little confusing so there isn't so that's why it's a that's why they say crypto assets should be a new class of assets because it has both of these characteristics. Um, and that's why it gets complicated, because it can do a lot of different things. And then technically, it's doing all this without PayPal, without the bank, without someone who can be corrupted or manipulated or fail. If you've got Correct. PayPal, that means there's one server somewhere. The nature of the blockchain, which we haven't talked about too much, is that it's, uh, you know, it's just very difficult to actually destroy it. It would take you know, global catastrophe basically for it to fail. Well, it's it's interesting. We tried to kill our blockchain deliberately um, about eight months ago when we upgraded um, we upgraded the network, and for that we had to actually shut the network down. And then the node operators, it's called a hard fork, um, but it was our first hard fork, and they're pretty brutal. So a hard fork means that at a certain time, all the different computers that run the network have to shut down, run a new type of source code for the latest version of the blockchain, and then restart their node. And it's funny because we don't know who they are, most of them. <laughs> so because that trustless thing we talked about earlier. And so we had to like, we, we knew who some of them were, but we didn't know who some of the nodes were, and some of the nodes did not shut down. And we had the blockchain running with like two nodes. It was slow, but it's like we're trying to kill it. We're asking people, shut down your nodes, upgrade to the newest node, you know, the upgrade to the latest fork. And it was just funny because, like, we couldn't kill it. We tried. It was really, really kind of funny because it's they're very robust networks, and and most people wanted to upgrade, right? Because that had a lot of a lot a lot of new features and stuff. And that's and so if you have a the difference between a database and a blockchain, right? And again, the one thing about the, the blockchains is that all the different servers are run by independent individual people, and we don't know who they are. Some of our we know that some of the servers are in foreign countries. They're all over the world, and anybody can set up 
then run a node on the network, right? That's what makes it very robust. There's a lot of redundancy because of that. Well, let me take um, a pause here because since you're talking about that element of it, people ask sometimes what creates value? Where's this value created? This whole system runs on these computers and those people that put the effort in get paid and that's where the value is created, correct? So it's both the infrastructure that makes it robust and then it mm-hmm. also is generating uh, the, uh, the value. Well, I, I would say in part, so how the, how does anything get its value? So this is complicated. Like where does value come from? So we like to think in terms of economics that all value is subjective and it's subjective at the time of a transaction. So for instance, um, let's say you, I always like to use the example of a guy who's in a desert island and he's got a chest of gold, but no fresh water. Someone shows up with like, you know, uh, a nice cold Coke or a nice cold glass of water. He'll probably, and he's dying of thirst. He'll probably value at that time, that glass of water, he'll probably trade it for that chest of gold. So value is subjective based on the circumstances and the situation at the time of a transaction. We like to say all value is subjective. Even the value of gold is subjective. Um, so I like to say that value is subjective, but it's informed, influenced by usefulness. So for instance, and I think scarcity enhances existing value. So you say, for instance, just because you have one of something doesn't make it, it makes it rare, but that doesn't necessarily make it valuable. So for instance, if your kid makes a, a crayon on a piece of paper and you put it on the refrigerator, it's a one of one, right? There's only one of them in the world. It's rare, but probably no one's going to pay you for it, right? <laughs> it's got like upside down, it's got an, you know, a rabbit that's half giraffe or whatever. But I think when it comes to currency, um, making it liquid, meaning that there's lots of people to buy. So is it cheap to transact? Is there lots of people that accept it? Is it liquid? Um, we call that liquidity. Does it have a lot of liquidity? So um, does it solve a problem, for instance? So crypto makes it easy to move money around the world very quickly with low transaction fees or no transaction fees in some cases. Um, that's superior to existing systems like wire transfers, which are expensive and slow. So I think ultimately value comes from, I like to think that value comes from problem solving and and, and efficiencies and things of that nature. But you, basically money is something that's useful. That's what inform, or things, I'm sorry, value comes from something that's useful or solves a problem typically. And so crypto as money does solve a lot of problems. And now how we get it. So for instance, when we launched the project, um, four plus years ago, we actually gave all the tokens away for free. And we gave it away via faucets. And at that time, it had no value. <clears throat> but very quickly and shortly after we launched it, people started trying to sell them on decentralized exchanges and they got a value. People started buying them or they're willing to pay money for them. And that values translated over time. And and I think our market cap right now is if depending on where you're looking is about, you know, a couple million dollars for the whole value of the currency right now. So in a few years, we've created, we took something which, you know, has a good potential to solve some interesting problems and with currency and blockchain. 
and it's worth millions of dollars now. And that's it just kind of the price is determined by the market, which is situational at the time. So it's a you know, it's interesting because I didn't understand a lot of this stuff before I got into crypto either. Um, but it was actually pretty fascinating watching tokens go through what you know, um, price discovery once they get launched on the market and, and what people perceive the value to be is, is, is it's just funny watching the markets and sometimes they're rational and sometimes they're very irrational. Right on. So, so when we're talking the different aspects of using crypto or Tusk specifically, uh, if uh, let's say Woods out there wanted to sell me a book or something or some, you know, something, and was you use Tusk or we're going to use Tusk. We each have a wallet. He sends the Tusk over to me. I go, okay, thanks. I got it. I send it to him or vice versa or whatever. That kind of transaction you just explained is not necessarily the kind of transaction that the markets are using to determine if the Tusk is being used enough. They'd rather see people buy in and out of Tusk or purchase Tusk or something like that. So my I, question would be yeah. if, if we got a thousand people to buy $20 worth of Tusk, that would be a thousand interactions and if those thousand people uh, ask somebody hey do you want to take cyber currency and see what it's like go create a wallet and i'm going to give you twenty dollars would that create would that generate the kind of uh activity that would be useful or would that be a, a non-necessary type of activity oh that'd be helpful i mean so like since yesterday i'm looking at uh, coinpaprika.com and our That's market so about. they're not reading the market cap correctly but um Analysis type of view or something yeah so let's see nomics is better but we've had a hundred and almost hundred fifty thousand dollars in trades happen on several exchanges since yesterday no so but last that's not that's not woods and me buying something and selling something no. to each other that's somebody deciding i'm going to buy a thousand dollars worth of tusk Correct. But if someone's going to trade something in Tusk, they got to get it first. They got to buy it somewhere. Sure. So that still is, you know, useful and activity. Is Then that's day trading type of like, is that called arbitrage? That's just people that are saying, I'm going to buy it because it's a two, it, it's a two cents right now. I'm going to wait till it's a 2.5 and sell. Is it that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. Well, you could do that, or you can okay. just choose to buy. But if you were going to do that or just buy enough to go buy a knife from your buddy, you still got to buy at the same place. Yeah, and that okay. transaction is then still recorded so, by so the, there's, the there's, trackers. There's, so there's these day traders, these people that speculate on the just fractional differences. If I buy a 1,000 things and I sell them a 1,000 things at 25 cents more, I just made $25. So if I keep doing this throughout the day, I make $200. So yeah. they're just basically playing with the idea that everything kind of barely fluctuates. But then, like you say, Woods and I both decide we're going to buy something on Tusk. So we're th now that's three different people. But then there's somebody who says, I want to get into cyber. Please go, somebody, buy me 10 cyber coins. And they in the transactions, they buy some Tusk. So there's all these different ways people are buying Tusk. And that's what they're looking for to decide tusk is large enough to get into these big markets which would answer wood's question here earlier where is tusk accepted so if we go to a gun shop and we see that they take paypal would be unusual because paypal doesn't like guns and that's one of the issues that we're trying to address but you know if they took travelers checks or if they take what's it american express or if they take diners club they're going to have a little logo there 
in order to get a Tusk logo, from what I understand, you need to be in something like NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange or one of these big exchanges that the United States would recognize as blah, blah, blah. And one of the first steps to get into that process or that pipeline would be have a lot of activity. Show them that you're valuable because a lot of people use the thing, right? Correct. Okay. And that's where I guess I'm saying it seems like an awareness thing, an activity to get some activity in the in the realm would be to have encourage people to just buy 20 bucks, just buy 40 bucks and just start using it to buy and sell amongst each other or say, hey, here's here's two bucks because I like that meme you posted or something like that. Right. And then that creates awareness and activity and drives people to look into it more. Yeah. And, and there's other features like we're trying to keep this, you know, very simple. Um, I just got a text message from a buddy who's listening and he made a good point. He's like, well, there's, you know, privacy functionality on different coins where you can mask where, you know, you can hide the the sender and the receiver um, from, you know, right now we're not a pro Tusk isn't a privacy coin, but the accounts are pseudonymous, meaning that I can't, um, you set up a wallet. I, I'm not, you know, it's a non-custodial wallet. So anybody can set up a wallet with any username they want. I don't know who they are. Now I can see where they transact on the blockchain. I can just see that they move something from one place to another, but I don't know the owners of those wallets or those addresses. And so that's pseudo anonymous. There are most blockchains are pseudo anonymous. Some have more privacy functionality. And as Tusk grows and we have the resources, we're going to add more privacy functionalities to the protocol as we get more mature and we have more developers that can work on that kind of stuff. Um, but that's something you don't have with other digital payment systems. So that would be advantage over PayPal right like if you're going to use something with paypal well paypal knows where it's going and depending if you know paypal settling with credit cards because they have that way to do you can do that with paypal too um you're interacting with multiple banks and if you're buying something paypal they're sucking money out of your bank and 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 so there's a lot of people that know what's being bought and who's buying it and who's where they're buying it from with crypto there that doesn't exist to the same level so you know again comes to that third you know trustless third party there is no trustless third party or trusted third party intermediary in the middle of this if i want to send a transaction from you to me it's not going to my server that i'm looking at and now i'm in the middle of it and saying i approve this or not there's no approval either it goes or it doesn't go that's it and it goes directly from your wallet to my wallet. It's not going through a bank. It's not going through a PayPal server. It's not going through something we're scrutinizing. I don't have the tech. The technology doesn't even exist on our blockchain for that to happen. I can't, for instance, shut an account down on the network. No one can. We don't have that power. It's not built into the protocol. So those, you know, for instance, you know, PayPal can shut you down anytime they want. They, they don't like what you're buying. They don't, oh, you know, we see that uh, you're buying a whole lot of things at this gun store. We don't like guns anymore because they're not woke. Um, we're going to shut your account down. And by the way, that happens a lot, especially with PayPal or any third-party payment option like Square, or Pay, you know, Cash App and all these different stripes and things of the world. So with crypto, you have accounts that are, what will they say, censorship resistant, right? Um, us as a decentralized protocol 
we're a community that agrees to work together on this. But there's no central company in the middle of Tusk that gets to pick and choose the winners and losers. We don't get to decide who is actually using the network. I can't stop you from transacting on the network if I wanted to. That's very different than other digital payment or online kind of payment systems um, where they don't like the way you sneezed you know, yesterday, they can shut you down. So that would be going back to the value, right? The value proposition of using crypto over PayPal. For instance, uh, we can't shut your account down. PayPal can, and they do. So there's been some questions coming in uh, as far as where Tusk is accepted. I kind of addressed that with, um, you know, the idea of whatever I was talking about before with, you know, the idea of having it get accepted into your different whatever the pipelines are so that it can get to that point where it's accepted at stores. But do you want to address that question just as it is, where is Tusk accepted? So, the, the, so right now we haven't, we're not really in a stage where we've been trying to hammer on a lot of stores. So you could go to our website, Tusk.network. There are a list of a couple of stores. There's only a handful of stores that right now that are really accepting Tusk. Um, and so, because at where we are, we're still building out some infrastructure that we need to make it easier. I think over the next three to six months, um, once we get the NFT creation tools built, and that's a whole different part of the conversation, um, we're going to see a lot more. We're going to be pushing more to start onboarding more retailers. Part of the thing that we've been doing right now um, is that we're trying to build the volume. So we haven't had a lot of trade volume on the exchanges which we've been talking about the problem is if you don't have a lot of trade volume then say someone uh let's say a retailer wants to sell knives and they accept tusk for a knife but they want to be able to cash out to dollars or to bitcoin or something else if you don't have a lot of volume they could accept that tusk but now they're stuck just sitting on the tusk until the market picks up so we've been spending our time trying to improve that liquidity that volume so that retailers will feel comfortable taking tusk because they have some place that can cash it out and so we've uh we've been working hard on that over the last couple of weeks and we're going to be on some more uh, we're getting listed on some new exchanges here in the next few weeks so um we're working on it we're just we're still early so i mean we still have a lot of we, we still have a lot of things that we need to you know uh get done and build it just this is trying to change people's money and trying to launch something like this is much like trying to start a new religion or a new political party. I mean, it's that level of a kind of thing. It's hard, um, but it's working. We've been around over four years now. So um, we're starting to get uh, the volume up to reasonable levels. And so now we have something that'll, you know, probably build some confidence and more retailers to come on board. And then we're getting on more exchanges, which makes it easier for people to buy Tusk and make it easier for, say, retailers to sell Tusk if they've accepted it for payments. So part of that is just building out that infrastructure. And that's kind of this phase we're in right now. But there is a list on our website at tusk.network, T-U-S-C.network. And you can uh, you could go to a couple exchanges there. I think the Bololex exchange is the, the best one right now. But you'd have to buy it with Bitcoin. So you got to get Bitcoin somewhere first. That's why it's kind of a pain. So we're going to be on, we're listing on a new exchange in two weeks that'll have an, a way that you can buy it with credit cards. Because right now you can't buy it directly with a credit card yet. You'd have to get Bitcoin somewhere else like Coinbase or Gemini and then transfer it to Bolex, buy the Tusk then with that Bitcoin, which is a pain in the butt. That's why I'm not even pushing for that right now. It just takes a little bit of time. 
Okay, so up until recently, well, so the answer to the question, another way would be, so um, where did it go? Uh, where is Tusk accepted? Pretty much the same place, all cyber coins are accepted on the internet in various places that are in the realm because cyber isn't you know, common yet. So Tusk being not the biggest of the cybers uh, is, you know, still like what Rob just said. I don't need to explain all that again. But as far as when it'll be available on stores, uh, I understand the concept, but I'm following through. So I kind of mentioned there that I just got done doing my taxes, which is kind of Miro casting out there to woods. I've been struggling with taxes here for a while. So now that I'm done with it, I'll be able to spend more time on figuring out how to set it up at the gear website store. So I don't know he said after all that he's lost. I just was reiterating all that just to make that clear. Oh. So yes, the gear website store will eventually take Tusk. I just need to sit down and figure out the steps because uh, the store needs to basically have just the interface created or set up basically. Um, but up until recently, you could, you would go to Tusk, the website, you would create an account and that's a wallet with Tusk. And then now that you have a place to put it and then in order to get some, you'd have to figure out a way to put value in to get some coins and then get some Tusk. Since there's not a way to just add a credit card to the Tusk website at this point. So you would click on buy and then it would take you to a couple of different exchanges. This first one, up until just recently, you would go there with a credit card and buy Bitcoin and just trade the Bitcoin for Tusk, put the Tusk in your wallet, and now you had Tusk. So, I'll, I'll, tell you, so I'll tell you what happened. You want, do you want to hear a story? So um, Bololex is actually a Russian exchange, and they had a way that you could buy crypto with a credit card. And thank you, sanctions, because the company that acted as the credit card intermediary with them pulled the plug so that just happened a couple weeks ago so we just lost that which sucks <laughs> so so there is a story there okay so then that's what you're talking about now we just you just need to get to that state but effectively that's the the steps is you need to um at some point get a uh, coin that you can trade for Tusk or uh, wait until there's a way to uh, buy directly. Yeah, buy it from the website or whatever. Yeah, we're uh, already. We know, we're, if someone, we're talking about if someone is new to cyber completely. So if someone has a coin of some sort, they can go to their exchange and find out if it has Tusk because there's more than one exchange that has it or go to. Bolex, whatever it's called, Bolo X. How's it called? Bololex. Yep. Bololex, and the exchange is still there, so you could go there with some other type of coin and trade it for Tusk and have Tusk and exchange Tusk all you wanted, right? Correct. Okay, and that would be just as useful for the concept of getting Tusk in that uh, to have more exchange, right? Yeah, it just takes time. Getting on exchanges is a growth thing. We've done a little bit. Our volume has changed a lot in the last couple of weeks. Um, we do have another um, exchange coming on called TX Bit, and I believe they have credit card on ramps. So we are hoping to have that in two weeks. So we've already been talking to them. Um, so yeah, it's a, a big pain in the ass. But 
this is the downside. Like, think about it. Like, I mean, the sanction thing, right? I I don't want to get into the politics of the Russia thing right now, but understand that the banks can blacklist, and if they can if they can do a whole country, or they can blacklist a president for things. And you think about you know the beauty of I think the big thing you'll see with crypto in the future, and I think there's almost an arms race is about transactions that can't be censored. That's what blockchains allow. And I think ultimately, as we see more and more of that tyrannical governments, you know, kind of, you know, doing, taking that and squeezing people in that control. Um, we've seen that in Canada with all the trucker strikes up there. You're seeing it now with blacklisting whole countries. Um, ultimately, these technologies are going to become a lot more important. I mean, I'm not one to get into anti-gun, pro-gun hysteria, but it's seeming like we're coming to, you know, another level of government overreach coming to the United States within the 2A community. And ultimately, it comes down to whether it's Bitcoin or Tusk or another crypto, we need to start using it as a community because we're not going to have a choice. And I think some people are talking about in the chat right now is that eventually... I mean, we're already seeing it, but eventually they're going to go after the credit card companies. Credit card companies are already creating a financial no-fly no list. And so we need to have alternative infrastructure adopted for payments, not just investment. And so, and it's hard. I mean, trying to get this off the ground has been a labor of love for years now, and we're still working on it, and we're still excited about it. But what else is there? If MasterCard and Visa pull the plug in the Western banking system, pull the plug on the 2A world, what do you got? You're going to start mailing gold coins to each other? <laughs> right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. Um, and, and so eventually we're going to have to use these technologies. And eventually some, you know, crypto will be used for payments on a regular basis. I'm hoping it will be ours because we're out there focusing on this fight. But it there's going to be a time that, you know, especially gun owners and other industries we're going to be wearing scarlet letters and we're going to be canceled and they're going to do it by cutting us off from the financial sector. Uh, I just noticed that you put in here, call me tomorrow. Is that, are you saying you do, do, I know I've had John here for like 90 minutes now. Do you got to take off? Is that no, he, I'm just saying he can call me tomorrow. If he has a question, I'll try to walk him through some things. Just gotcha. give him my number. You have his, you have my number. Just give it to him. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I don't want to suggest. I don't think. I don't agree. I mean, I don't. I don't think where there's any um, eventualities. But um, what I think that I definitely agree with you in the aspect that we'd be better off to have cyber, to be strong with cyber, to be aware and useful. Because just as capitalists, it's difficult to mess with us when we have alternatives. So in order to keep the credit card companies in line as our service as a you know, customer of ours instead of us being under their thumb having mastery of cyber would be to our advantage so if someone is looking at cyber like oh i don't care about it i think it's worthless well just as a, a ace in the hole a card to have in your you know in your hand uh master it and you don't need to necessarily invest a hundred percent and set your whole business up to depend on cyber but you can certainly incorporate it. I don't think you have any investment in traveler's checks or coins, but you take coins. If somebody said, I'm going to give you $5 million in quarters, you're still going to take them, right? You know, so that's all I'm getting at is I don't think we need to, 
you know, we, we understand it's a tool, just like a lot of things, and we can master it and have it as an item in our toolbox. Well, I understand, like, if you buy, like, Tusk on Exchange, I'm not getting that money. That's whoever's decided to sell their Tusk. That's who you're buying it from. I'm, I don't have any of my own Tusk for sale at all. Um, so it's not like, you know, we're selling coins or something like that. That's not the case at all. The coins that are on the exchanges for sale are individuals that own Tusk and they want to sell. So I just think that, you know, I want to see more usage of the coin for its intended purpose. And, you know, the only reason I, I like to see the volume increasing is because that instills confidence in retailers. But really, I want to see more on-chain peer-to-peer transactions where, you know, G-Web's selling CloverTech or trading patches with him or right. what have no, you. Exactly. I want to see more of that because that's more yeah. important to me. Exactly. And that's where I'd like to throw in this concept of my poll here. So I asked, you know, what would you put into crypto to just to buy and I should have said just to buy and sell things as opposed to investing. That's what I was thinking, but I only put in here, how much would you put into crypto to buy and sell things? $20? $50 or $100 because I'm thinking a regular person in 2020 doesn't have a ton of money to just slap around. But you pro I mean, I have $20. That's what I'm planning on putting in there. $50 is some people's $20 and $100 I could see if you really wanted to buy something of value or maybe be able to do more than one transaction as a test. So with that concept, you know, I've kind of described it already. If we encouraged a thousand people to get some tusk one way or the other, what would be an ideal amount? Or is there an ideal amount? Would it be something as low as $20? Or Woods had asked earlier, how do I get $500? I mean, I don't have $500. That's out of my realm. But would you even need a bunch of people at the $500 level? It sounds like we just need people. Or is there some sweet spot? I don't think there's a need, right? I think or a set number. It's about getting people using it. And so yeah, that's like saying, if you're PayPal, what's the right number of transactions on a daily okay. basis? I mean, ideally, at some point, millions, right? That's, that's what you want. That's real adoption. Um, but, you know, I mean, at this point, you start one foot in front of the other. You know, you're going to eat an elephant one, one bite at a time. So, um, but again, I'm not, I'm not, see, I've, we've worked really hard to make Tusk not look like an investment, which is counterintuitive, right? Because we, there's, there's this term in crypto called HODL, right? Where people buy it as an investment and they just let it sit in their wallet. And I've always said, I want people to spendle. Like I kind of coined the term spendle. And because people spending Tusk and using it as money, it's like Bitcoin, right? I'm a huge fan of Bitcoin. I, you know, I'm a big investor in Bitcoin. And Bitcoin was originally supposed to be this peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. That's what it was supposed to be. But what it morphed into was a 401k. And there's a big difference between being a PayPal and a Fidelity, right? Big difference between being an... And so lots of cryptos are out there and people treat them all as investments. And in fact, no one really treats crypto as money yet anywhere, like not even Bitcoin. And so to me, that's still the untapped market, but that's the real potential is in, to me, focusing on Tusk and trying to build it as an actual tool, an actual settlement instrument as cash is actually a lot harder. If we wanted to just spin it up and say, hey, you'll go to the moon and you'll make billions of dollars. I mean, 
I understand how to market things that way, right? I am pretty good at marketing, but that's not, and that would be easier. By the way, trying to tell people you're going to go make them a million dollars if they invest 50 bucks, you know, lots of people want to believe that. And that's an easy sell. And you can sell a lot of coins that way. But that's also kind of illegal. It's kind of disingenuous and not what we're trying to do. Okay, there's plenty of projects out there that are doing that. Um, some might make you money, most won't. Some might. But with Tusk, we're actually kind of give a shit. We kind of really see that the 2A community is running out of financial options. And we think that in the future, it's going to be a little more Orwellian over time. And that we're trying to build this infrastructure now. Like we're very early. Like I, I'm not, I, if I wanted to, I, we couldn't compete with MasterCard right now. Right? We have a lot of things we need to build yet. We're very, very early. But we're not quitting. We're not giving up. And this is harder. This is the harder way. This is the harder fork in the road to take. But this is the only road to take if we're trying to create a real solution and create a technological tool for liberty rather than just making a 401k. You know, and it's going to be tough for people to separate this, I think. But, you know, What's-His-Face made PayPal. And, yes, he made a fortune, but he made PayPal, and that drastically changed the Internet. That gave people that ability to use credit cards on the Internet with trust. And all that did, or, I mean, and that was the, the catalyst that allowed all the businesses to trust doing business online, and which created business online. Before that, it was, you know, you had to be a techie and you had to have some, you know, some faith that, you you know, your, your stuff wasn't going to, anyway, so PayPal was a pivotal thing. This is that same kind of concept when you're talking about the idea of using cyber and Tusk specifically as a uh, exchange of value in our community. Well, how do we start, right? And so one of the things that you and I have talked a little bit about this, and I think we're getting really close, by the way, um, is that I would love to see like influencers make patches into NFTs on Tusk and start trading them or buying and selling them. And now, like digital, basically did think of them as digital patches. But if you say an NFT could be a digital patch, think of it like that, or like a digital merit badge. And to me, that's what I'm excited about trying to get people to start with. Think of it as like training wheels. Like that's like it's safe, it's it's inexpensive, and it gets people set up in a wallet, it gets them, hey, you know, I can, you know, I can send out free digital patches. It doesn't really cost me anything. Um, and then people can hold them in their wallet and say, look, I collected the only way I got this one digital patch is I went to this one event where GWebs was. Um, so I think a great event is like, I don't know, you know, IV888 always has this, like, you know, he's got these annual shoots and they might have a specific patch or a specific, um, shirt for that one year. Right. And the only way you get that patch or that shirt is you go to that one event. Well, NFTs are something you can do on Tusk is like the same thing. And to me, I think that's like a really good way to start onboarding people and get them used to the technology in a way that doesn't really cost them anything. Um, we're working on the minting tool for NFTs right now. Um, we got the back end part done. We just got to build the easy to the tool to make it easy to make them. And that's actually complicated to make it so it's easy for people because it's actually not easy to do them. Um, but I think that's how we start. And, and, you know, and then people say, hey, I really like these free patches that GWeb gave out, but he's got this cool one that he also sells and he's not giving that one out. 
and then you can go buy that with Tusk. And so that's kind of like where I see this progression going to get people used to buying and selling and trading things digitally. Well, doing interactions that are digital, letting the blockchain or letting this like system have the interaction instead of PayPal or YouTube or you know, whatever the system is that you're using uh, to have the conversation in. Um, I'm going to say, um, I don't know, I was trying to go off on a tangent there, but as far as the, um, okay, so the patch thing, you're, you're, you brought that up before, but the way I'm thinking about it is more of when you go to uh, maybe a, uh, an event and they say whoever, or maybe if you just go to an auditorium and then you get a microphone, right? Like the only person who's going to ask a question to the person on the stage is whoever's got the microphone in the audience at the time. When they're done with the question, mm -hmm. that microphone off to the second person, or maybe the microphone's you know on a stand. But we're talking the kind of concept where the microphone is wireless. So let's say you're having a show like this one, and we have the Wednesday uh, quiz, right? We have the Wednesday game show, and part of that is who's going to be the contestant or something. And we have this this pass the mic. We have this hot potato. We have this NFT. That you purchase with tusk and it can only be two bucks it could be a buck it could be you know because the way one of the nice things about tusk one of the things that i'm psyched about is some nfts based on the way that they work can be pretty expensive to create to mint and, and expensive to transfer the way they're building the tusk nfts it's not going to be like that they're going to be devices for use like this so if we're going to play around on a show we could say if you got this nft then you get to ask the question or you get to choose the state that we're going to focus on or you get to choose the direction in a choose your own adventure situation or something like that. Uh, maybe the NFT is, you know, you get to be first in line at the gun show or something like that. So there, there's some ways you can play with the NFTs that are um, not necessarily associated with an item. So I think that's one of the hangups people get is they go, oh, it's a piece of art. No, no, no it's, a, it's more like the holographic certificate of authenticity and uniqueness that's attached to that piece of art except that it's a digital one that everyone agrees on i i think another thing you could do for instance and i've talked to some people in the 2a world is that you could have like an nft for every year right so you can issue and you have an artist make up a new let's just say a logo right for this year's nft and you could make it that, uh, let's just say you have a membership club. So let's say you're High Point Firearms or something. And you could say, oh, you're, uh, you're a member of the 2022, you know, first in line club. And you get access to the latest models first. If, so, for instance, if you hold that NFT in your wallet, you can be one of the first people to buy a new model something like that so that's what you can do and and the other interesting thing from a marketing Ordinary, perspective you have to say like show up and be the first in line well that sucks if you don't live there or they might say go to the website first well that sucks if you're not some genius website go with you know to know the internet or you don't have a good internet connection but if they say everybody with an nft gets them in the order that they buy the nft you got six months to do all that you know that's a whole nother way to create a queue or a line right that's mm -hmm. fair and effective 
Exactly. And the other cool thing from a market, let's just call it a marketing perspective. NFTs are great for a marketing perspective. Um, you could say, let's say holders of the 2021 NFT are now first to get in line for the 2022 NFT. And if you um, you could do special gifts as well so you could say if you hold a 2022 nft you can do an airdrop to everybody that has it and it automatically goes into their wallet so let's just say if you're the holder for the 2022 or 2021 you can airdrop them and say hey look you guys are the the pioneers you're the first one to get it you can you know we'll give you the 2022 one for free or you can you could just airdrop them, meaning that you could automatically send to everybody that has that exact NFT in their wallet, and you could say, "Here's a you just send them an NFT with a link that only they can get and use, and then they can get be first in line to buy the 2022 version, for instance." So there's all those kind of things that you can do when you have proof of ownership again, because you know they have that NFT in their wallet, so you know it's going to the right place. It's I think of it like it's um, you know you send someone an email, right? Even if they're in their membership for your club, you send them an email, it might not get delivered. It might go to their junk mail. Well, there is no junk mail for these wallets. <laughs> so, so if they have the NFT, it's a guaranteed delivery. And it's a guaranteed delivery to the right place. And I think these are some of the, these are just one of the many different little applications that the technology can do that wasn't possible before. And that's yeah. what I think is just another cool thing about it. That's interesting. I've never thought about an application of an uh, community. So an NFT could just as easily be a subscription to a newsletter or a subscription to some kind of a month date and instead of going uh, email or something like that. Well, I'll give you another I'll give you another great use case. So my, my buddy Jesse is like DMing me right now and direct messaging me something he made a good point um you should be putting this in like the real chat anyway um but you made a great point so for instance um you know and you know what an stl file is right g did i lose i don't you? know if i'm or just typing in am i losing oh. signal? so you know what an stl file is right uh, and if, for 3d printed no um, an stl file for just go. Um, just go. So 3D. So you can. So for instance, if uh, you have a NFT, you could make an NFT of a 3D printed gun file, and you could then airdrop that 3D printed gun file to everybody that has a certain NFT in their wallet. And there's no way to stop that transaction. Basically, the same, back. It's basically the same thing I was thinking okay. with the news. It's an alternative way to distribute content that is, I, I wanted it because I'm saying I want it and it's going directly to me without, like you say, an email or a YouTube or a Gmail in between. Yeah, basically. And so that's why it's like you, some people say you can't stop the signal because of blockchain. It's true. And these things, I think, are going to become much more important in the future. 
And even though we in the 2A world, we're still kind of like a redheaded stepchild and everybody's kind of treating us like a punching bag right now on the media right now, I think there's going to be a point in time with our censorship-happy government and culture that we're going to need to probably start sending news out via blockchain and NFTs and things of that nature because they can't be shut down. And it's just another, just another way to spread information, not only that has provable ownership, but is done in a way that can't be easily shut down by people that may not like that message or that information. And that's, that's why I'm very bullish about this technology in the future, because I see where we're going, as at least in the United States, is very dystopian, right, or Orwellian. And I think we just need to think about where, where things are going with the government and politics. And then we can think of all sorts of interesting application and use cases when you understand what a blockchain can do, specifically the Tusk blockchain, is that now you can start thinking about different ways that we can start building infrastructure that makes liberty possible in the future before they've even figured out that this exists or how to try to stop it. And we're already proliferated and we're already out there. And that's well, what I mean by we need to build that infrastructure now. I'm glad you said that because you got right to where I was about to go. Cause I, you know, I'm trying to say that I don't disagree with you necessarily. I just don't think that's a foregone conclusion. And I suspect, and I was about to say that the creation of what you're going towards, like the, the result of what you're creating, I guess is the way to say it is the, it's the second amendment. It, it, it's, it's the, the, the same as the second amendment. It's, it's basically the ultimate first amendment. It's your right to speech. It's your right to press. It's your right to assemble all in the internet. So it's, it's given because it exists, the government can't be as tyrannical as you would not want it to be. You know what I mean? I think that because you have alternative ways that people can communicate that can't be disrupted, which is what one of the aspects we're talking about uh, that can result to this or will result to this, it's very difficult to shut down the message, right? Like you just said, you can't shut down the signal. Once the signal can't be shut down, then then we just have to master actually understanding how to send signals to each other and not be deceived or messed up or, you know, misunderstand. But we're starting from a place where we have a lot of experience. So um, anyway, I think that, you know, we've, we've got the potential to resist or see the the tyranny being difficult if nothing else when there's uh, modes of communication and, and uh, stuff that can't be shut down or that they can't be tracked they can't even know who's talking let alone shut them down yeah and one of the things that i'm i'm always trying to look ahead and as this thing grows and i think it's going to because people seem to be waking up at least enough not 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 enough of the people, but enough people are understanding the technology is is important. And regardless if we agree on you know how apocalyptic things are going to go in the U.S., because I'm probably a little more doomer than you are. I'm a little more black pilled. But but what I would say is this: um, I do believe that we're going to have to increase privacy functionality over time through the, our protocol. Um, but I also am looking ahead at how we can develop mesh networks around Tusk that don't require the internet to run the blockchain. And I'm also interested in looking at small scale satellite launches. 
And again, we'd have to grow a lot, but you know, I'm always being optimistic and, and say, okay, where would we be in two or three years from now? So, cause we kind of have this built in, um, worker pool. So every time new Tusk is created, a small portion of that is siphoned into a, a, a fund, a pool that, um, can be voted on by the community. So if people put in proposals, um, some of that could be used for infrastructure like that so it just depends on you know how big the blockchain is at that point so if the if tusk became you know the whole market cap for tusk became billions of dollars there would be literally hundreds of millions of dollars in that worker pool that could be used to literally put up satellites in orbit and so I'm trying to think ahead, like if we, I always try to plan for success and failure. So um, one of my success ideas is that looking at that kind of stuff long term, we're going to need that because they, they are fucking the Internet up and we're going to need to have the ability to use blockchains without the Internet. And there are ways to do that technologically. And a lot of it already is off the shelf. It's just literally pulling it together and spreading it. Um, but we are thinking about that because we're trying to be forward thinking with this. Like, you know, it's one thing if you're trying to build like a website, right? Um, how, what's your time horizon? You're maybe you'll run the t-shirt website for a year or two and then get bored and do something else. But when you're trying to build a new form of money and information sharing, like a protocol like Tusk, you got to think about 50 years into the future. Now, a lot will happen in that time, but you got to think in those types of horizons, like what types of things will you need to respond to the, you know, the existing environment out there, the existing economy, the existing political structures that will be in place in 50 years. And so even though I won't be around then, probably, um, those are the things that I'm thinking about for my kids and your kids and what they're going to need to be more likely to be free in the future in a very much more technological world than we live in now. As you were saying that, I was thinking that, you know, let's say, I don't know if this is useful for people or not, but, um, you know, because we're kind of getting into theoretical stuff of what the blockchain can do. And I can't imagine that's helping anybody who's struggling with, you know, with some of the jargon we're using or whatever. And I apologize for that. It's, but I, I do thank people for sticking with and listening to this stuff because we're stronger when we understand the technology that's out there. Um, I guess I was going to say that. Um, dang, what was I going to say? I was going to say that the. Um, I got to think for a second. Um, so well, yeah, the STL well, could be thirty round mag. But I mean, but that's a good point. Like he, you know, just said in the chat, he was talking a little bit about um, what Canada literally today decided to screw the entire, you know, their entire country on pistols. I don't know if you saw that, but and and limit all, you know, magazines to five round capacity. So the interesting thing about what did you see that in Canada? What Trudeau did today? I did not see it? I heard of it, so I haven't looked at it myself. So Trudeau just because uh, they don't have a constitution, <laughs> they don't have a right to bear arms, uh, they just voted today to make it so they capped the supply of trans, like from how the way it read, they're not allowing the transfers of any pistols ever again. They're capping the supply of pistols, and apparently they said they're banning the transfer of pistols. And like right now, so, you know, like Reagan did in 86, right? That's why you can't, that's why the price of a machine gun is so expensive. 
they're literally, but it doesn't even sound like you're even allowed to transfer the grandfathered ones. So it's 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 pretty pretty bad. The up well, in, in already, Canada, they already like we're screwed. Like the ones you owned, you owned, and so now they're saying you can't even get new permits or buy new ones. It sounds like. Yeah, and then they're capping the the rate the the capacity of any magazines, and that's on top of an assault weapon ban. And that's so, definitely you know the kind of craziness that can happen when you've got all the political parties enough votes or whatever to just decide and make you know decide and act. Well, I mean, I mean, you go into like the current system, you never hear the Democrats talk about doing a constitutional amendment to get rid of the Second Amendment, because amending the Constitution, they will lose that. They will not get that passed. Then not enough states will support that um, process. So that's why they're trying to nickel and dime and, and try to like, you know, do a, you know, take a little bit here, a little bite here and there legislatively. And then it just gets have to go back to the Supreme Court. And the thing is there, they have more funding to do it than um, the, let's just say the, the gun rights lobby, right? There's just not the same level of money moving into that side of the aisle. Um, so it's just, it's just interesting where that's going, but that's what, I mean, the handwriting's on the wall. Unfortunately, I mean, we're only a couple more mass shootings away from probably them just ramming some very unconstitutional legislation down our throats. And I'm not sure how that's going to play out. That's why I'm a little more blackpilled, but to me... On that one, like you say, you've got more insight as to the tech side and you know the financial side, but on the I don't believe I don't agree on the that side. But go ahead. Well, we'll see. You know, like I mean, when's the last time you heard a president talking about banning all nine millimeters and, and stuff and calling them high, high? You know, you know, at some point, a bridge too far when there's millions of new gun owners. And then you're going to suggest that the caliber they chose, that's, that's, that's not saying, hey, let's nibble around at the edges. Let's nibble around at the edges. That's saying, hey, all you, you're bad. You're, you're associated with this yeah. person. That's hitting home to a lot of people. Who, I pay attention to the people that are out there. And there's a lot of people who are experiencing being accused for the first time because they just decided to become a gun owner. And now they're being accused because of their choice. And those people are at least new, but I suspect more familiar with the whole political system. And they've got the ability and the words to say to those representatives, hold on there, buddy. You're not talking about me. You know, I don't know who you're talking about, but I own a gun. And we've got that potential. Well, I hope you're right. Um... Well, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying I don't, I don't think it's a foregone is just that old fashioned paradigm worked when you had NRA plaid guy who would say my rights, my property. And then he would sit back down and yell louder if you came back at him. But we got a whole new dynamic. We've got situations that don't work with their narrative. Their narrative needs to be, you know, you know, within that parameter and it isn't. So whenever it doesn't hit their parameter, it's opportunity and, and, and um, angles for our side which has lots of nuance at this point to address all the different pieces. I suspect that I think from my angle, just because it's on a tight side topic since it's a gun show anyway, I think that the reason we're seeing so many attacks from so many angles is because they're trying to take as count coup as many times as they can and get as many victories wrapped up so that they can make the money from the people who generate income on their side 
because they know that they can't do one thing. They don't have a battleship. They don't have a, a real fight. All they can do is run around slapping, and they're just effective because they can go around saying, look how many wars we're starting. And they also know that is when the gun community has historically been ineffective, when we take slaps or black eyes, we basically shut down. Uh, they're, they're expecting us to do that, but they're not going to get that result. The, the gun community is diverse, it's vast, it's experienced, and it's, it's capable. So they're going to see a different result. And I don't know how the result will play out, but like you see, we'll see. But anyway, that was a bit of a tangent. Well, I mean, I don't disagree. <laughs> it'll well, be interesting to see. I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Now, I did want to say that I wanted to throw this out there again, and I, I lost it before, but I wrote it down this time. Um, and this might help people kind of realize what we're talking about with the concepts or the big pictures for the uh, the potentials for the blockchain or the non-centralized use of data and communication and everything that this is offering. Uh, if the internet did shut down, like you said, something happened, they started to tax the internet. Google said, you're going to get taxed every time you did a Google search, or you're going to get taxed every time you use Google Maps, let's say. You're going to get taxed by the mile. We're going to charge you by the mile to use Google Maps because our satellites cost so much. Then all the gas stations out there could say, Hey, don't use Google. Don't use the internet. Use our system. And the and the internet and the gas stations could create some system where they talk to each other and they provide people on the highway access to their carrier signal or their their system that offers a mapping system. And you know, it's an alternative when the big systems fail or the big systems adjust or change. And and I think that's right. I don't know if that works as an, an example or whatever, but I think that if we see some real big changes in financial systems it's nice to have an alternative and we've got some systems in place we've got the industry and we've got the gun shops we've got an infrastructure we've got the organizations and we've got people who have a fundamental interest in the in the firearm not just like people who own guitars who might be interested or they might not be interested they might be professional or you know have some interest in it as a tool or they might just be hobbyists. It's not like people who own motorcycles or cooking utensils. These are people that own property because of what it represents, right? And they mm -hmm. have investment in that core belief of, you know, we have a right as an individual to our sovereignty. And, and it's, you know, we've got that kind of carrier signal in addition to the infrastructure available to us. And why not use Tusk as a, as a, as a, what am I trying to say on that? A signal on that, like as another way to, uh, to you know, have our own PayPal over that infrastructure. Well, I um, I hope so. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean that that's the goal. It is really is just really kind of, uh, you know, getting it out there and getting people to use it. It just takes time, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see where you know where it goes. Like I I'm really optimistic about this project and what we're doing because i think i mean when you're working on something that's just not about cash and not about you know ego but really trying to build something that you know i don't want to say world changing because I, I don't know if we're building something that's world changing but maybe community changing or industry changing i would like to see tusk be at that level and and that's the goal i'm working for 
um, and towards. And I think if we continue doing what we're doing, I think we have a good shot to get there. Enabling, I'd say, right? Like changing depends on 50-50 hindsight or whatever they say after hindsight, but you're definitely offering, right, a potential and an opportunity. I think so. I think there's a lot of opportunity here because what I see happening is um, I think what we're seeing right now is that we do have a lot of um, we have a lot of let's say attacks coming specifically to this industry, right? It's not it's not like a static situation. This is a situation that is actively changing and actively getting worse. Oh, and, for sure. And, and, and so, and so, I, yeah, and so, yeah, and so I think because of that, we have the ability to really affect change in this industry using this technology, whereas maybe more established cryptocurrencies that are out there, but one, maybe they don't understand that this problem exists, so there's not an opportunity to solve the problem, or they're straight up run by people that are anti what we're doing right a lot of crypto right now is run by people i would say crypto is like it started off being very anarchist and libertarian in the beginning but because so many software developers and so much vc money has come out of silicon valley um i would say the i would say better than 50 percent of crypto now is run by liberals and and so it's funny because even in the crypto world, when I start when I'm in certain groups and I talk about um, what we're doing, like they get really upset. <laughs> so they like don't like what we're doing um, because of the gun thing, and that we're at least open to the gun thing and friendly to guns. Um, and so that's uh, you know I think there's an opportunity for us because a lot of them won't even approach this industry. They won't work with this industry to help solve this problem because they hate the industry. Right there, a lot of these people have come out of companies that have actively worked against the industry, or you know, we're talking. Think of Facebook and Google and and all these different platforms that hate the gun industry and and you know the PayPal's of the world. So They've now moved. People that are in the cyber industry are coming from other tech industries that may have a distaste for guns, so they're bringing that distaste with them into their cyber positions yes. or cyber roles. Okay, exactly. So that's uh, so to me that it just makes it like there's even fewer people that are into crypto that are into guns that are willing to try to work this way with the industry. So I think it's all it's us. If it's not us, there's it's nobody else is coming to save us. We got to save ourselves as an industry. Uh, I mean, and then it's just two way people, even if you're not, quote unquote, in the industry. Right. You know, there's no one else that's going to come rescue us. We're being backed into a corner. Now, I hope that this does, I, I hope that people come to their senses and realize that, you know, this is not the right, in, not the right time to try to like rip the country apart with having some kind of civil war over guns, right? That's, this is just not a good time to be pushed in this, but the left seems to want to. Um, and because of that, I mean, I think we have a limited horizon like that we're going to have to do something the window's closing like if we don't build this infrastructure now and I, what i mean by infrastructure is adoption if we don't build it now it might be too late in two years three years whatever that whatever the number is i don't know but i know it's coming and we got to do something now 
and no one else is doing it. We're the only crypto project that even bothers going to SHOT Show, right? There's no one else there. They don't care. There's no one from Bitcoin to SHOT Show. There's no one from Ethereum or Solana that go to SHOT Show. It's us. Right. They don't see the opportunity because they don't really need the the segment, right? And they don't probably value or even want to include the segment potentially. You know, they could actually be against our, our community. Um, I was going to put in there that other early adopters over the years, you know, you think about other things, even photography, really. But, um, you know, the VHS, the home video, um, you know, people talk about theoretically VHS and beta, but, you know, a lot of people that are listening to this probably weren't even alive when that whole thing existed. And that was a time when you would go to the movie theater to watch a movie and you would watch television to watch television. But all of a sudden, you could buy a giant cassette recorder for your TV and record video. Like you could record a TV show and then, right, you could like watch that TV show over and over whenever you wanted to. Because this was before cable even had movies or anything like that. And then eventually you could get a movie on a, on a VHS tape or on this cassette player and rent that movie from a video movie store. And that was a whole new thing. And cable wasn't everywhere yet. So that was a... A whole thing and when people talk about VHS and beta right that that whole you know that like what should I say era who were some of the early adopters of VHS and beta like porn and people doing newsletters and uh, viral marketing and people who would make a VHS tape of like pyramid schemes and drop those things off at the um, you know, the beauty parlor or something. So people would take them home and watch the VHS tape. They were, a, they were a bunch of, um, gorilla and, um, you know, uh, early adopters, right? People that were playing with the technology. And that's what I was going to say. That's been, that would probably apply to every other tech phones, the auto dialers, right? Like it, cell phones and spam email. So there's going to be some negative, but it's also those early adopters that established the protocols and the and the, the abilities of those of the platforms or the mediums. So there's got to be some element there of to help people realize that if we're not paying attention to this, if we're just disregarding it, then before long everybody just takes PayPal, right? Before long everybody just takes credit cards online. Before long, everybody's going to just take crypto. But like Rob's, Rob's talking, it's going to be crypto company, you know, big market Disney crypto, and they're going to hate guns and they're going to have some agendas or whatever, but they're going to be established and everybody's just going to be like, oh yeah, we've always liked crypto. But the opportunity that you're talking about is this time when it's not established and it's not Disney crypto or it's not Amazon crypto or it's not U.S. government crypto and people have the ability to get in here and get familiar with it while it's still happening, right? Like it's still developing. Right. Did I lose you? No, I'm just reading now the text over here. Oh. It's just the point that it was, you know, it, that, that there's been early adopters. And if people disregard the developments, the steps in technology, because the early adopters aren't their favorites, then we're, we're allowing stuff to happen right in front of us. Yeah. 
I, I think it's coming. Uh, and I, I just hope, you know, people wake up before it's too late. I guess is the the, the way I would go um, with this because I just think that the time is running out. Now I'm now, now I'm going back to my doomer state. But but really, I think it'll be. Uh, I'm just I'm fascinated. I'm like in one, you know, in one element, I'm super excited because I really like the technology and it's it's a very exciting space to be in. There's a lot of interesting things happening. There's a lot of change happening. It happens really fast in crypto. Like two years in crypto, you're like a hundred years old. And being in crypto like four years, I feel like a two hundred years old. Um, so I like that piece of it. But I'm also, I'm a little more doomer about the politics and the economy and geopolitics. And so to me, it's like uh, the one part of me is real excited about this, but the other part of me is like, yeah, we need to get be successful with this because it'll be really bad if we're not in the future with the way things are going. So that's kind of what drives me on this. Um, and it is getting a little late for me. I do have to work in the morning. Um, so I'm going to have to probably sign off here in a minute. Yeah, well, that but, was timing because it's right at the two-hour mark. And hopefully this helped people uh, to explore the concept of what the Internet might evolve into using Tusk as the... Um, catalyst or the uh, focus of it, I guess. And uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time. Do you got any last questions? Anybody out there that might be still joining us? We do this show late because we do appreciate the people that are overnight. So thanks, Rob, for sticking around. You're a little bit earlier than me. What time is it? It's 1 a.m. for you or no? Is it midnight for you? 20, 12, 20 no. a.m. But still, two um, hours in the middle on a holiday. I do appreciate you taking the time. Like I say, when we set this up, I didn't even realize we were setting up on a holiday. Oh, dude, I, I appreciate it, though. And and normally I don't mind. I just, my wife's like, go to bed, you know, because we have to get up early. Um, but I think, um, yeah, if anybody's ever, like, just reach out to me. Uh, if anybody, just uh, hit me up at, at Rob McNeely on Twitter and DM me. I got my DMs open. That's a quick way to get a hold of me. Um, if anybody actually has specific questions about crypto, I try to make myself available. So if you just said, Hey, I saw you on the stream, DM me on Twitter. That's probably the quickest way to get a hold of me. Um, and if you, uh, have any interest, check us out at tusc.network. That's T U S C dot network and T U S C dot network. I got to, got to pimp the URL. Um, and if you, anybody wants to experiment or try stuff out, we do have a telegram group. And I think that's, you can always get a hold of somebody in the community on Telegram. And so I always tell people, join the Telegram group. Um, it's a small oh, community. Okay. Is that available on the website? Sorry to interrupt, but is that available on the website? Uh, it's on the website, and I just jumped, dropped it into the chat as well. Okay. Um, so it's just Toss Network on Telegram. And I always tell people join the to join there. There's you know there's a lot of people that are just listening to it all day long. So if you just say hi, people generally respond. I'm in there every day, as well. And so um, if any well, of y'all have more qu questions on Telegram, we're in there all the time too. So reach out. Let me take a second and just say Telegram is another. It's a messaging system slash information distribution platform that's telephone based. And this is a great opportunity to get information about Tusk, but using a new platform that is valid. Like it is a good uh, exercise to use uh, Telegram and find out what it is, because I'm sure you might have heard people talk about it. But if you haven't, it's a tool that you'd want in your resource, right? It's a, it's a good tool to have.
So having a place to go on Telegram, I don't have anywhere to go. I only know two places and I really don't want to watch them. I just want to have them in my list or whatever. So having a place that I can go, that I can just watch and see how Telegram works, I'm looking forward to that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate everybody tuning in and, and participating today. Consistently. Um, what interview have you done that you'd recommend? So I'm sure you've done plenty of interviews so that because this wasn't really like a meet Rob or talk about Tusk show, for someone to get the best presentation of what Tusk is, where would we send them? That's a very good question. I I don't have a good answer off the top of my head because uh, no I've done quite I've done a lot of streams and we always kind of ramble. Um, let's see. I did a oh man. When was that? I did a Twitter Spaces room that was recorded and it's on my timeline somewhere. <laughs> I'm okay. just trying to think where I posted it, but that. If you can find it, throw it at me. We'll, we'll, I'll mention it and I'll put it out there as a separate entity. So that, that's just so, something that people can get in So let's, so let's see. I know, let's see. I'm just thinking maybe I put it on the, maybe it was on the main Twitter account for Tusk Network that, um, let's see, did they, I don't know if I put that out there before they banned our channel. Um, and that was, so, oh, that, yes, I think it is, da, 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 let's see, when did I do this? If you can decide did, or give you a dual one, the second question is going to be, what's your, what book would you recommend? Just any book in general, what book would you recommend? Um, the first book I would recommend as a really good primer would be the, um, the Bitcoin standard is like kind of like the Bible just to get to understand the Bitcoin, it's like crypto from the Bitcoin perspective. Um, and I would say that would be the one that um, I would definitely look at. Okay, now um, what about a book that has nothing to do with Bitcoin necessarily, just a book that you value or that you recommend to people? Hmm. If there is one, I'm just throwing these out to so, everybody. Oh, no, no. So like, all right, so from, uh, I, I really like the, the, the E-Myth. Um, and I think Rich Dad Poor Dad are really good as far as economic, personal finance kind of books. I think the E Myth um, and Rich Dad Poor Dad are really good primers on thinking about these money and savings and investments and things of that way in nature. And I think that's important. Um, I think that's where I would like. Uh, that's where I would start. I mean, I, I, I listen to books all the time or read books all the time. So it's like those are two ones that I would say if there's one that someone needs to read, I think those are always good ones. Right on. I'm not familiar with the myth, but the rich dad, poor dad I am. And I would say that that kind of stuff is good because it also makes it gives you a way to think creatively or like think differently than, you know, even though it's about the finance side of it, it gives you great ways to think, too. So I, I think I can get where you're going with that. Yeah, I think that's where I would start because ultimately, you know, say I could talk another 20 minutes. You got me wound up again. <laughs> I'm going to get out of here. But um, but I would say understand is first you got to understand why to understand why crypto is important. You kind of got to understand economics and you got to understand how they broke the money in the first place. And then if you really want to get deep into how they broke the money, go look at the read the creature from Jekyll Island. And that talks a lot about how they broke the money. And, and so what we're dealing with with inflation right now is the fact that they broke the money. And, and how they broke the money is very 
common throughout history and it only ever ends really badly when they break the money and 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 basically it's short long story short they devalued it by printing because politicians make power get power and money from being able to spend other people's money so they borrow more and more money because politicians gain power from print you know spending other people's printed money um and then ultimately at some point they get so greedy that they print so much money that at some point the game is over emperor has no clothes and now the money really doesn't work very well anymore loses its purchasing power and it gets broken well crypto fixes that and and ultimately that's why the bankers and the government hate crypto especially bitcoin because it is like the antidote to people and politicians breaking money and and ultimately that's what it comes down to Crypto is more honest money. But to understand what all that means, it's complicated and it takes some understanding. But once you understand it on how they break the money and then you understand how crypto makes it so they can't break the money like that anymore, then you get, oh, now I get it, bing, light bulb goes off, is that we not only should do this, we need to do this, especially at this time because you know government we're at a very interesting stage right now i mean you and i are very similar ages right if you think about the gas prices right now right and gas prices are burying people right now food prices are burying people right now okay P americans are getting very poor very quickly and it could spiral very badly and this is why we need crypto because it's honest money and the fact is the inflation is caused because they broke the money from bad behavior and crypto makes it so they just can't do that anymore i guess that would be the simple way to look at it but read those books understand how they broke the money and then you understand why crypto makes it so that's not possible and then it, it the light will go off for you like it did for me and so many other people is that we need to move to this as humans around the planet we need to move to this type of system because it's more honest it's more fair it, it takes out a lot of the corruption and manipulation that we get from politicians and that's why i'm excited about this technology and that's why a lot of politicians especially american politicians and western politicians are fighting it because they know that's what's going to happen and if you listen to all these people at davos you know the you know world economic forum last week there's a lot of anti-crypto stuff in there from the people that are have a lot to lose from the system changing because they're the ones that have the power right now because of that broken money, that corrupt, dirty money that they have. Um, and they fear what crypto is going to take away that, you know, how crypto will take that power away from them. And I mean, whether it's Bitcoin or Tusk or something else, it's coming. It's just which cryptos get adopted the most and the fastest is going to be the ones that are going to make the biggest difference, I think. Right on. And I apologize again for giving you big open-ended questions at the end there. But, uh, yeah, let's chat again. And you have something to chat with you. I don't need to keep you off air, but uh, jump off. We'll chat uh, again this later this week about something. And then uh, thanks again for jumping in. Thanks, G-Webs. And thanks to everybody that tuned in and wanted to hear me ramble. I appreciate it. And you guys have a great night. And um, remember, those that served, this is the still that day. Thank you. Right on. Awesome way to end it. With that, I'll just throw the commercials here at the end and uh, 
again, appreciate everybody that stuck up or stuck around for the whole show. The questions were appreciated. I hope I got to all of them. Uh, I'm going to blame my bad internet for most of that, if this is even all coming through. I guess give me some feedback. Otherwise, uh, I don't know. Let me know if I should throw a link out there to off air. And I think Rob might have accidentally dropped the link to this thing out there. So that's why I don't know if I should drop the off air link or not. But here we go. GearWebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is Free Patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at GearWebsites.com. This episode, Nobody Beats the House. So let us know what you think. We'll be watching the comments wherever you find the video over on GunStreamer.com or on GunTube.org. Thank you for supporting our projects. If you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee, check out our Patreon channel. The guys and gals of GunWebsites.com encourages you to take a CCW class every year, practice at least once a month, and carry every day. Thank you for watching GunWebsites.com.